What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to BDE. Got an exciting show this week. Okay, bone to pick with you before we get started. We just got into this and we already no, have a bone you, to pick. I have a bone to pick. <laughs> What's the bone to pick? So, okay, to the audience, I'm sitting over here. I've worn hard contacts literally my whole life. My eye doctor's <laughs> old school. He's like, how do you see? I see real good. And he's like, any problems? No. So he's left me in hard contacts. So I'm over here. I get something in my contact. I poke it out. I take it out. I lick it because that's what you do when you have hard contact. Stick it back in my eyes. And what do you accuse me of? No. First off, reenact what you did. You okay. Re- okay. I look I'll over show. in the corner of my eye. And I see you like this. Yeah. Does so that I not look like? Out, I lick. I'm on my computer. I see this out of the corner of my eye, and I'm like, "Did you just take a bump of cocaine or something <laughs> before we get on this show?" I didn't know if it was like uh, uh, if you're taking a bump or what are those. Uh, the football players when they sniff it like <laughs> smelling salts yeah smelling salts <laughs> what the hell have i done <laughs> i know i was just like i saw that and uh just all right to kill go you. ahead but, it right. was not i was licking my contact that may be weirder but still <laughs> so guys uh has some issues with our streaming software this morning uh with restream their servers are down so we're not getting to use our typical uh streaming software um with that said we can't really see comments today, so apologize for not being able to uh, take comments from you guys. But hopefully next week, Restream will be back up, and we won't have any issues. Chuck, let's get into, let's, so into the news. What I tweeted got? out earlier. I just said, I think today is going to be all the long-term case, bull case for oil. Just everything I was reading, putting together shows. So I'll just start reading through them, jump in whenever. Yeah. So, Scott Sheffield, arguably our most prominent oil and gas CEO, Pioneer CEO, he came out a couple of days ago and said oil is at 100 plus for the next five plus years. Yeah. And part of his evidence on that was $100 oil is not going to cause demand destruction because he goes 2010 to 2014, we had $100 oil. And oil production or oil demand grew, call it a million barrels a day each year going forward. So yeah, he's in the long term bull camp. Yeah, uh, yeah. I saw a couple of comments uh, from different people about oil prices remaining high for at least the next three to five years, which personally I think is the case too. And you know, I've brought this point up before. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but. $100 oil really isn't that high on an inflation-adjusted basis. And so people are acting like, you know, we're just sky high um, when it comes to oil prices, and we're really not um, when when you think about it in terms of um, everything uh, regarding commodity prices as a whole. So I'm personally, I think that we're going to have high oil prices for the next few years which is um, very odd for someone my age because my entire career in oil and gas has been <laughs> just <laughs> up and down. I mean, not many 32-year-olds in other industries. You know, I love – I don't love um, – obviously don't love seeing people get laid off and, and downturns, but I just um, – I've really enjoyed the perspective of seeing people in tech have to face their first downturn of millennials careers i mean they've just been on a mass historic bull run right and then all of us over here in oil and gas it's like that meme where the guy's getting hung by a noose he's like first time like yeah. work in oil and gas and you're a millennial you're used to getting uh kicked when you're down and so for the first time ever 
you actually feel like you have serious tailwinds uh, for the for the first for the first time, really. Because Brad Olson's data, the way he says the same thing you're saying is look at energy costs as a percent of income. You know, yeah. Same way to do it, kind of inflation adjusted, and it's historically low, even with the the rises we've we've seen here. Yeah. So there there's definitely uh, definitely something to to that. And you know, we were talking about demand destruction the other day or a couple of weeks ago on this show, and just kind of talking about anecdotal evidence of people not spending. I've seen some charts, and I should have pulled these up for the show, but I'm just thinking about it now. Um, that showed some actually contrarian um, data points on the usage of, oh, here's, here's some right here. Um, so this is actually, you know, a lot of people look at Gas Buddy data or Dan Pickering likes right. to use localized data of just checking how much people are spending at gas pumps. Um, but someone actually posted a chart of Google Trends, which I don't think a lot of oil traders are probably using some of the analytics that we have today. But this is actually Google Trends. And you can see, sorry that you guys on, on the show can't see this. I should have pulled up this chart. But um, gas price searches on Google peaked at June 27th, 2021, and then rose again May 8th, 2022, and have been on a huge downward trend so people aren't searching where is cheapest gas, yeah, yeah, gas prices so is that an indicator that people are actually just accepting that hey these prices are what we're gonna have to deal with i was talking to someone at the gym yesterday because he drives a big um jeep gladiator and he's got it all decked out with like all these accessories on top and just like the aerodynamics of that of that car are so bad and i made a comment i said like, you gotta get chill on gas he's like for the first time in my life he's like i'm actually second guessing if i should drive somewhere because of how much it's going yeah. to cost and he's just talking about houston like hey should i drive over to the gym across town to train in the katie gym and i told you a few weeks ago on the show i was like for the first time ever i'm second guessing that i'm like do i really want to spend money driving across town for that so i'm still really long energy in my Kane Anderson limited my LP <laughs> so I'm looking like I have the natural hedge but I've thought that too as a yeah. man on limited income <laughs> and a declining stock portfolio I've had to so this was interesting too so let's stay on the long-term bull case uh French Prime Minister Macron I think everybody's now seen the video where he's talking to Joe Biden, and he basically says, hey, I've talked to OPEC. The Saudis don't have much left uh, to do. UAE doesn't have any more that they can do. We need." He basically says, we need more oil from the United States. So everybody's kind of seen that video. And let me get a chart up. Hey, Bossel, can you throw up the, the Saudi rig chart real quick? Um,
any of their quotas. I mean, they've, what is it? I think out of the last 12 months, they've met their quota one month or something. So yeah, the thinking that there's this big supply of oil out there we can turn on, I just don't think it exists. Yeah, and then to add on to that, I sent out a tweet several weeks ago after the uh, – CW just texted that they can't hear us on BDE. Oh. So can they not hear us? All right. Well, we're gonna keep recording. And oh, oh, okay, okay. All right. So we're having issues with uh with Vimeo streaming software. You guys might not have been able to hear us when that chart was up, but Chuck the, was the punchline was just basically why are the Saudis running all these rigs over the last few years if they've got excess capacity? Yeah, they don't so have it. They don't have excess capacity. They're increasing rig count um to increase uh increase supply which is very obvious and wanted to add on to something that we talked a few weeks about on the show um you know i was at dallas crude association i was speaking on a panel and after that um i was talking to some guys and really i was like hey look i'm not putting on my tinfoil hat here but there's a lot of cyber attacks happening on american infrastructure not just on energy but food as well you see yeah. these chicken farms or cattle farms uh blowing catching up on fire. Yeah, just randomly catching on fire you know two months ago someone sent me a text on twitter and was like hey these wildfires that are happening in texas they both happened at eog facilities and they're an hour and a half away apart from each other and happened within 30 minutes He's like do you think that's coincidence and i was like no i don't think that's coincidence i was like that looks like a cyber attack and anyways you talk about these things. Well, a report came out from the cybersecurity company that um, said that they're pretty confident that the Freeport LNG facility was a cyber attack, even though... Uh, they're denying it. Yeah, they're, they've, they're, they're denying they've come it. out. And after, I mean, I was talking to those guys at DCA, and I go back to my hotel room after talking to them, and I get on Twitter, and I see that that LNG facility had blown up. And it's like, this isn't, this isn't a coincidence. And now he's seen... A refinery down in Mexico, Pimex refinery, um, had an explosion two days ago, or maybe it was yesterday. Um, so now, you know, we're not only fighting physical wars, but that Freeport LNG facility blowing up has huge implications for energy supply in Europe. You don't think that that's Russian hackers or... And the Russian hackers, hackers are supposedly the best, yeah. right? I mean, when you, when, yeah, so when you look at the hackers, yeah. There's... Um, and my conversations with oil and gas, uh, U.S. oil and gas companies, I mean, I have firsthand conversations of them saying that cyber attacks are up 5,000% over the last four months. So it's something that's definitely happening. And these things typically happen in the Middle East. That's why the, the Saudi OPEC thing uh, kind of brought it up um, on my mind. But now the in the United States. And so already battling against physics and supply chain constraints to increase production. Now you layer over cyber warfare on top of that. And, you know, it's, it's hard not to be bullish energy prices um, over the long term, just given all those different well, factors. And the, the, the subtle point that a couple of people on Twitter have made, but I kind of noticed too about Macron telling Biden that, made sure the cameras were rolling. 
that was not an accidental hot mic is still on, you know. Yeah, so tell me yeah, what it's kinda what? like, can you step over here? Can I you saw I saw mic? a little clip of it, but I didn't watch the whole thing. Uh what was what was the gist of that? So, you know, basically uh I forget who he said he talked to. He talked to either the minister of UAE or uh, uh French uh French Macron, okay, you know, yeah. their prime minister. Yeah was talking to their oil minister and they said, Hey, we just don't have any more. You can, you can ask all you want. We're doing all we can. And they said, Oh, by the way, the Saudis maybe have 150,000 barrels left Yeah, a, a day they could add, but we just don't have it. So he's telling Biden that, you know, I had these conversations and then he's asking, Hey, we really need the oil. I, you guys in the United States have to do that. Yeah. Biden looks kind of clueless. Uh, and then on the top, video. yeah, and then on top of that, strategic petroleum reserve I saw is at all time lows since nineteen or the lowest that it's been since nineteen eighty six. Which my understanding of SPR is that it's built up for it's kind of like a rainy day fund, especially in wartime efforts. And now we're moving into increasingly hostile environment, and we don't have any reserves. Um, not just on petroleum, but I mean, when it comes to refined product like diesel too, I mean, I keep seeing all these headlines about diesel reserves, uh, being down diesel supply being down. That's kind of worrisome. Yeah. Cause it's not like China's not circling Taiwan right yes, now. Yes. And I mean, and then how's our fleet going to get over there? Look, every once in a while, I'm going to put on a tinfoil hat, but I don't say things without putting some thought into them. But like on Twitter, it, um, it blew up that. Um, Putin was calling up some ex-general and he's like this 350-pound dude and said that Looks all... like John Candy. <laughs> I mean, said, he really did. Said all their generals have been killed in combat. And like, I can't help but feel that that's propaganda that's being fed to us to make us feel like Russia is kind of weak in their military strength when all signs point to we're losing, we're losing leverage and China's or Russia's gaining leverage. China's gaining leverage through well, let's, ener yeah, let's, energy policy and energy. Now let's supply. roll right into that because that was the the other thing. Russia is making more money today than they were pre-invasion off the sales of energy. Um, they're selling a lot to China and India. This is a crazy stat. So May twenty seventh to June fifteenth. India has bought six times the normal amount of coal that they buy from Russia. They've bought 31 times the normal amount of oil that they buy from Russia. Russia used to supply about 1% of India's oil. Now they supply 10%. The Russians now sell more oil to India than Saudi Arabia does. So they're only behind Iraq in terms of supplying India. And India is doing two things. One, it feels like they're kind of doing a prepay to finance the war for the Russians. And number two, India is supposedly turning around and selling this oil back to uh, Europe. Yeah. So, I mean, we haven't yeah. done anything. The sanctions are backfiring. You and I actually talked about The sanctions this. have strengthened yeah. Russia. <laughs> the ruble's at a seven-year high. Yeah. And uh, you and I have talked about it here. I mean, we kept saying, well, if we just ban Russian oil, they won't be able to sell it. No, they just send the ship someplace else.
Yeah. And supposedly the, it's just, it's just rat hold, right? Like yeah. They send it somewhere and then we'll they get sent up. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. settle these guys. And supposedly what's happening, the, the, the thing we thought we had was that ships and insurance would be able to control all that. And there is some Dubai subsidiary of an Indian company that's guaranteeing all the, the Russian ships to get yeah. the oil to India. So yeah. that's not even an issue for yeah. the Russians. And I so, think a couple of things too, when we look at this administration and communication from the White House, you know, they're obviously tossing around a gas tax holiday, um, anywhere up to three months of repealing gas taxes. Cool. It's going to save the average American like $20 a year. What the fuck does that do for yeah. anyone? Um, and then I just can't get over. I don't want to add the carbon tax. <laughs> yeah. And then I can't also, I can't get over when asked point blank, they say, Hey, we're in an energy crunch. You've demonized oil and gas. Are you having second thoughts on the energy transition and the white house's policy on uh, moving to renewable energy? And they'll sit here and boldface tell reporters, no, we're still moving forward with renewables. Yeah, yeah. And so it it's just wild how we have not been able to get through. I refuse to believe that politicians, I've never met a politician that's not smart. Yeah. You know, they're all smart people. Yeah. At least but, street smart. Yeah. yeah. And I think a 10 minute conversation, they could understand enough about energy to have some common sense about this. Now it's getting to the point where I feel like the United States is being put in danger by the administration just for political posturing. And I don't even know how it benefits them because when it comes time for elections, how are you, if people can't afford to buy food and buy gasoline and their quality of life has gone down drastically over the last 18 months, that's going to be a hard sell. So I don't even understand from a political positioning, you know, what, what the white house is trying to do, but it'd be nice just to have some common sense and honest conversation about energy security and being able to provide cheap and reliable energy for Americans. So GW just texted me and he's right. Our fleet is largely powered by nuclear uh, so we will be able to go over and defend Taiwan. So good, good catch. Yeah. Uh, the uh, on that, did you see this nuclear plane that got that got pitched on no, Twitter? Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, damn, I wish I had a picture of it. I forgot about this until you just brought that up. But let me um, let me get some stats on this because it's a cruise ship in the air um, that can. It, it looks like a cruise ship too. Hold on. Well, I got, I'll, I got it right I'll here. I'll wear my tinfoil hat to respond to your comment while you're looking to that. I don't want to say this, but I mean, if you were designing policies to strengthen China's position in the world, wouldn't you be doing what's happening right now? I mean, they, they basically are getting a $30 deduct for Russian oil. Yeah. Right. Number one, they're building all the coal fired plants they want, you know, right now they're getting Russian coal cheaper. And the United States has drained its strategic reserves and we seem almost feckless in the world. I mean, how yeah. is this not like, yeah, we look weak as fuck. Yeah. yeah and we look bad. And, and, and 
you know, anyway, I don't, I don't want to say the big guy and his 10% in Chinese deals is leading to this, but makes you go home. All right. I pulled up this, uh, this plane, but I should have got a, I should have got a picture to pull up on the screen, but go look this up. It's called the, the Flytanic. The Flytanic? I haven't looked in. Nuclear. Let's name it after the Titanic. Are you serious? <laughs> it's nuclear fusion. This is what it looks like. It's a 5,000 passenger flying cruise ship. Holy cow. The weight, and it never lands. It stays in the air perpetually. And, and you take the little way, pods on and off you, of it? You take a commercial plane that lands on it. Really? <laughs> yeah, like this thing's fucking massive. Anyways. The there's, love boat. There's a lot of grift in deep, in deep tech like this. So I haven't looked into it, but this was blowing up on Twitter the other day. And uh, one, I don't know the feasibility of nuclear fusion in a, um, in a, in a plane this big. But anyways, if someone can pull this off, it's super cool. I love moonshot ideas like this. You know, we have a we have a 3D rendering of a video of it. <laughs> We've got that far, but um, uh, I just thought that was that's cool, interesting. And then on that also, there was actually some energy tech news, which I'm excited about this because fusion energy, pretty polarizing topic, especially and the renewables climate crowd. So here's what I love about all the de energy debates on Twitter. You have camps, right? So you have your oil and gas boys, you have your renewables, you have fusion or nuclear, and renewables fights with everyone. They're the common denominator <laughs> of toxicity on Twitter. They fight with uh, oil and gas, they fight with nuclear, and so they anytime- They fight with carbon capture. Yeah, they fight with yeah. carbon capture. So I encourage- renewables people to have some self-reflection and maybe be like, am I the problem? Kumbaya, am I the problem? <laughs> so, anyways, anytime you talk about nuclear fusion on Twitter, people get all up in arms, but a startup out of Seattle, Zap Energy, just raised $160 million for a uh, nuclear uh, fusion reactor that's actually small enough that it can fit in a garage. And this thing looks pretty cool. I know it has to have some legitimacy because my uh, friends over at Lower Carbon Ventures back them. So Lower Carbon is uh, uh, Chris Saka and Clay Dumas, and they're the ones that cut a check into this. So I'm going to try to get these guys down to our Fuse event in October, try to bring one of their reactors down to Houston because I get... I personally get really excited about nuclear fusion. I mean, you if you can master that, which... Yeah, we have a lot long ways to go, but that can solve a lot of problems. Well, you know what they do by putting it in the garage? That doesn't need FERC approval, does it? <laughs> yeah, right? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you're not that's not interstate commerce. I mean, yeah. you know, the also Governor I don't, Abbott can say, Great, let's rock. Yeah. Um I always love technologies that are built out of a garage, especially technology where you're harnessing as much energy as the sun produces. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, just got an artificial sun in the, in the <laughs> garage next door to your house. That's like my friends over at Nanotech where uh, before they got into Halliburton Labs, they were cooking up uh, this. Uh, it's a fire retardant slash insulation technology and some molecular technology, and they're cooking this shit up in their garage. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, like, 
Halliburton Labs finally took them in and was like, hey, we have real labs that you can actually build this <laughs> in. So you never know what someone's cooking up in your neighborhood. But anyways, yeah. yeah that, would, that, that would be really interesting because, you know, the, my, one of my favorite stories, and I've told it a million times, but we're talking nuclear. The, during Winter Storm Uri, the nuclear plant shut down in South Texas because the sensor went off that measured the water temperature. And so operating procedure is you got to shut down, reboot, and all that. And there was some engineer sitting there going, dude, I'll just put my hand in the water. It's yeah. cold. Yeah. I'll tell you when it heats up. Yeah. Shut down. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So, I didn't know that. Um, I thought nuclear stayed online the entire time. No, so a nuclear plant in South Texas shut down during URI. That was that was part of the problem, and it was all because of the sensor on on, uh, yeah, on water on temperature, water temperature, which makes sense. Yeah, but it also seems like we should have a backup sensor on that. Too. Yeah, for sure, they can't cost that much. Yeah, so I think we covered most of what we have um, in the, the show. Oh, one one random fact we did not say that just kind of quirky, and I'll throw it out there: the Netherlands was like the 14th largest uh, buyer of Russian oil pre-invasion. They're now the fourth largest buyer. So the Netherlands are kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's ban Russian oil. Oh, by the way, we'll take some. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of weird. One other thing, too, that came up across the feed um, was Ecuador so that they could stop, potentially stop pumping any oil within 48 hours due to protests. And someone sent me a message and said that Slumberger is actually, that's a big part of their strategy is focusing efforts on uh, production from Ecuador. And so we'll probably have to keep an eye on that, see what happens there. I don't even know, you know, what the protest, I'm not familiar with what's going on uh, down there, but they uh, pump half a million barrels a day. Which so it's not insignificant. Yeah. So if that know. gets shut off, you're just looking at even further supply constraint. But we got finger of the week to we end did. the show. Um, if nothing else, we'll stay true. Um, I think we can play finger of the week. Basil, will you uh, bring up the video? We can't do it without the video. of the week i have no idea who this guy is and we had tons of politicians we could have given it to i'm just tired of giving it to politicians because it's such a clown show but this dude this 75 year old woman was walking the family french bulldog that is the beloved pet and some dude on a bike jumps on picks up her dog and and bikes off so what a dick. this is part of a larger story that I've been telling over the last year and a half or two years. You know, I, I'd first sent a tweet a couple of years ago and I said, hey, there is a bubble market or a bubble happening, happening in the French bulldog market. People are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, I've got a friend. He buys 70 to $100,000 French bulldogs, breeds them, and he sells them out in no time. I'm like, who's spending $100,000 on French Bulldogs? And anyways, I put that out there and then people started sending me tweets. And it was things like this. Like there was another, not just this story, but last week um, someone was robbed at gunpoint for their French Bulldog. 
And so now if you have a French bulldog, you can't take them out on a walk without um, being at risk of being robbed at gunpoint or being mugged. Um, so this is a ever, you know, this isn't being covered in mainstream news. <laughs> you got to come to BDE if you want to hear about what's happening in the French bulldog market and shit's getting crazy out there. The, uh, that is crazy. The, uh, the one dog breeding story that I think is hysterical. What's the dog that the Israelis use as an attack dog? It's, it's Belgian, oh, but it looks yeah. like a German yeah. shepherd. Man, if you wouldn't have asked me, I yeah. could have told you. But but whatever that dog is, a buddy of mine actually has one of those. And it's like they're bred for the first four years to be this attack dog. So the two funny stories out of that, we go on a trip together and the dog comes. He goes, well, you really need to learn, learn the term loche. And I'm like, okay, what does loche mean? He goes, well, it means release. Because when they attack you, they grab your calf. So you need to scream loche <laughs> if that happens. I'm like, okay, great. Then we were talking about breeding the dog. And my friend was like, yeah, I went to the dog breeder. And the breeder said, okay, I'll come over. I'll bring the needle. I put the dog to sleep and I extract its sperm. And my buddy's like, oh, come on. Can't we let the dog do it the old-fashioned <laughs> way? And the breeder's like, no. And my friend's like, what do you mean? He goes, Want that, once that dog has sex, you can never tell that dog no again. He'll have sex with you, and you won't be able to do anything <laughs> about it. So, See, at least not, the thing about those dogs is if uh, someone tries to mug you, uh, the dog Yeah, gets, that dog wins. Yeah, I don't think your French bulldog is going to uh, do much to ward off a uh, – robber or exactly. a criminal but anyways guys sorry for the technical issues this week uh hopefully restream will be back up next week so we'll be able to bring in comments and won't have any audio issues if you haven't checked out oil and gas startups make sure to tune in tune in to chuck, chuck needs, a, needs, needs a, job. a job and uh, do everything that people ask you to do with podcasts subscribe <laughs> tell your friends say nice things on social media appreciate you guys